Welcome back to Service to School Stories. I'm your host, Sydney Mathis, Director of Student Success here at Service to School. As a former college admissions officer and the spouse of an active duty service member, I'm excited to dig into topics within the higher education landscape as it relates to veterans and transitioning service members. Let's dig in. Everyone, today I'm joined by Jeff Miller. Jeff is the COO and Director of GMAT and GRE Instruction at Target Test Prep. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, I gave a little bit of an introduction there, but I want to hear from you kind of, you know, how you ended up at Target Test Prep um, and essentially, you know, why are we looking to you to kind of be the expert in this space? So, Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me, Sydney. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to provide some insight into myself and how I landed there. So, uh, many moons ago, I actually was a GMAT student myself um, soon after graduating college, a couple of years, at, years after, uh, you know, call it 14, 15 years ago. And uh, I met our founder uh, and CEO, Scott Woodbury Stewart, when uh, I myself was a student. Now, mm-hmm. back in, say, uh, you know, 06, 07, there wasn't a ton of great options for GMAT. And that's kind of how I got to know him because he actually helped me. And soon after working with him, um, you know, I got to know him pretty well and knew the future, which was creating a GMAT prep course that was more complete, um, you know, that didn't involve necessarily having to go to some physical location and sit down for a class. I mean, essentially a self-study course that everybody could use. And I really appreciated his vision, given that I was a student myself. So, you know, around that time, around 13 years ago is when, you know, we started cranking out target test prep, you know, the course, it took us a number of years. Um, Obviously, it eventually got done we've grown and we've grown. And so since then, uh, we've had tons of great success and worked with, you know, thousands and thousands of students at so many countries all over the world. And, you know, my role has not only been helping create the math portion of our course of the GMAT and GRE courses, but, you know, I've also done private tutoring and interacted with and worked with myself, thousands and thousands of students. And, you know, essentially have seen students from all areas of life and have been able to provide advice to them and um, help them not only achieve their GMAT, but, you know, advice beyond that, you know, for business school and, and things like that. So, you know, basically for the last 13 years, GMAT and GRE have pretty much been, been my thing. So I, I think I know a lot uh, yeah. about those exams, basically. For sure. That's the world that you've been living in for the last, you know, 13 years. So um, one thing I do want to say is, you know, I know you've worked with some of our applicants here at Service to School and applicants who sign up for the MBA team. They do have to have a GRE or GMAT score on file with us. Um, so just thank you even for, you know, providing the discount codes and being willing to support our student population as they do pursue either MBA programs or higher level graduate programs. So just a thanks for the team here at Service to School, um, the support that you all continue to provide for service members. So it's a great resource. 
Yeah, well, thank you. We're looking forward to do doing, uh, you know, even more stuff with you guys in the future. All right, so let's just dig in. Um, I took the GMAT kind of like you many moons ago when I was applying to graduate programs. Um, and I was deciding my program accepted the GMAT or the GRE. Um, so just fresh out of the gate, where do you see most students um, signing up for support? Do you see it's kind of like evenly split? And then your personal preference, like w- which exam do you feel um, is a better fit for certain students? Yeah, well, that's a really good question. And it's a question we get a lot, to be honest. Um, you know, from our perspective, we, we see students from both sides of the GMAT and the GRE. I wouldn't say one is necessarily bigger uh, or mo- more prominent than the other. Um, you know, I think, well, first of all, there's some programs that only allow one of those tests. So that's going to make the decision for you. But where sure. we find students at a crossroads is usually with in regards to an MBA. And if this was a conversation we were having seven or eight years ago, I'd probably say, you know what, it's probably safer to take the GMAT. Students are just starting to incorporate the GRE. Some schools uh, prefer the GMAT over the GRE, others don't. So it'd be more, there'd be more research involved to make sure that you're making the right decision. These days, it's pretty split. So what I find myself telling students is take the exam where you're going to excel the most. And that's it. Um, Now, to determine that, a lot of times what it takes is a little bit of research of either exam. So Mm -hmm. let's say a week of getting the content and structure formulated, getting just a decent base. And then taking an official practice exam. So for GMAT, going to mba.com. For GRE, going to ets.org. Taking the first of their free exams. Seeing how you do. And then also take a bird's eye view and say, well, is there one exam that I feel better about versus the other? And that would be the path to take. Now, if you're overly concerned, even despite me saying that schools generally will accept either exam, well, the move is simple. Reach out to admissions, contact yeah. someone there and just, you know, dot your I's and cross your T's. And assuming that either exam is accepted, then you make your decision based on where you think you'll excel. Sure. And Jeff, let me ask a follow-up question to that. So my world is mostly on the SAT and the ACT side. And I know kind of the same answer, you know, colleges will accept both and, you know, kind of depends on which one you feel like is a better fit test for you. Is there anything like a concordance chart where someone could say, hey, I took both, you know, but based on, you know, this chart, it shows that I did better or I would perform better. Or if I sent both scores to an admissions office, like how those exams kind of correlate? Yeah, well, you know, there is a conversion chart that ETS, the makers of the GRE, have made, but I'd say it's slightly outdated. And the thing is, is now because GRE is now widely accepted, schools are generally uh, publishing the GRE scores, whereas years ago they weren't. Yeah. So you can basically just go on to any website of any school and get that information. And again, if it's not there, the path is simple. Reach out to admissions. I mean, I say that 
all the time because there's no better place than to hear it from the horse's mouth. Like, Absolutely. If you're unsure, call someone. If they don't have the scores published or won't give them to you, then maybe they won't. And then that's a different situation, but always reach out to them to make sure you have all the information you need. Cause it's going to be a journey regardless of the tests you study for. So you just don't want to be misinformed on the front end and then lose a ton of time and then have to go back and restudy. Sure. Sure. Um, that's really helpful information. Cause I think a lot of times, you know, you hear maybe your buddy's taking one exam over the other or, you know, one college or one school you're applying to is taking, you know, the GMAT versus the GRE. Um, so having kind of that nuanced um, background or back knowledge is I think really helpful. Yeah, totally agree. Um, and then far, as far as kind of studying for either exam, what would you say are your top three tips for someone who's even, you know, like starting to approach um, planning for an MBA program? Okay. Well, these, this is a very good question. So I will say that that also is a commonly asked question, because <laughs> if you think about it, a lot of students who begin studying for either the GMAT and GRE are generally some years out of college. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, some take it who are in college, so they're kind of in study mode and can more easily craft a study plan, but many are not. So you're kind of coming at it from a place of, oh, wow, I haven't really had to study for something like this in a long time. So just understanding how to craft a study plan is an effort in itself. So, you know, one of the main tips I would say is make sure that you're following and creating a study plan that's very linear and structured and topical. Now, That may seem obvious, but you would be so shocked how many students just crack open a book and just try to, you know, go through questions, question after question. Yeah, into their brain. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. So they're like, well, it can't hurt me that much if I do a couple geometry questions here and, you know, go over those solutions and then a few ratio questions here. Eventually, it's all going to stick. And It usually doesn't for most students. So a huge tip is learn a topic through and through, practice just that topic, develop your mastery, see where you're weak, fill in knowledge gaps based on that practice, and then rinse and repeat with the next verbal uh, or quant topic. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, you're going to feel organized in your studying. And just the macro idea of having a study plan is going to, it's going to make you feel better. You're not going to be anxious about studying because that's another thing. If you sit down to study and you have to spend 15 to 20 minutes deciding what to do, mm-hmm. like yeah, that's, that's a wasted time. Yeah. It's incredibly anxiety inducing. So, you know, having a study plan in place, a good one, it, it's just going to make the whole process smoother for you. And, you know, you'll see where you're at and where you need to finish. So you always know how much time uh, you have in between. Mm -hmm. Um, So that would be one big tip. Um, Another tip is give yourself plenty of time to study. Um, If you want some sort of indication of how long it might take, figure out your target score, 
take a practice exam to get a baseline score, and then you'll have a loose idea. But don't, you know, decide in August that you want to apply or July first round admissions and you need a 730. It very likely isn't going to work out. Right. Um, so prepare for and plan for taking this test really as early as possible. I mean, your score lasts for five years and there are some lucky people who are like, okay, I know I want to take, go to business school in two years. So I have the time, energy, focus, motivation to do it now. And they do it. And that's amazing. I mean, I can't tell you how many students I've spoken with where I'm like, look, time is on your side. Your future self will thank you. The younger you are in <laughs> general, the, le the less responsibilities you have, right? Oh, yeah. um, you know, chances are you don't have children, uh, or maybe you're not even married yet. And just, it just works better. You have more flexibility with your schedule. So if you can do that, great. If you can't, that's okay too. But, you know, at least plan out six plus months that you may need to study. You might have to take the test multiple times. Just don't put your back up against the wall so that you're rushing your application. You're rushing your GMAT. You know, it's just allow time for everything to breathe. And I think the whole process will be so much better. Mm -hmm. Is there ever a situation where someone's preparing too far in advance? I mean, I know you mentioned the scores are good for five years, but do you feel like there's kind of like a sweet spot that they could land in? Well, I've heard people from time to time, like, you know, in forums, sometimes asking questions and they're like, well, I want to take the GMAT in two years. So what can I do now to kind of like yeah. pre-prepare for it? And there's not, I, I would, I usually don't recommend that. Like, yeah, I guess you could do like quant drills or read, you know, the New York times or wall street journal to get used to like, you know, reading comprehension or something like that. But in general, when you're ready to study, you want to dive in feet first. So I don't find that dipping your toes in is, is quite necessary. Mm -hmm. And also I would never say to kind of put, uh, a ceiling on your prep. Like I wouldn't tell someone to purposely two years. I guess that's kind of my mm -hmm. point. Yeah. Um, I think most people are pretty successful in like a four to six month timeline, but don't purposely drag it out. You know, yeah. like I usually say, Hey, study for around 18 hours a week. And if you can do that, I think that's a very good sweet spot. But if you're coming and saying, well, I, I'm just going to do five hours a week and study for two years. Like, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend that. So, yeah, I'd say anywhere in the four to six to even eight month timeline, depending on your starting score, is a good sweet spot. Now, take that with a grain of salt. If you're scoring a 700 on your first practice exam and need a 730, you're going to be able to do that quicker. So mm -hmm. that's why I always recommend researching the schools you want to go to so you can get a target score take the initial practice exam to get a baseline score and then you'll have yeah. a little bit of an idea. Yeah. I imagine having that baseline kind of is the first step to figuring out, you know, how much test prep do I actually need? Do I need to, you know, like really hit the ground or can you kind of space it out a little bit longer? What would you say, like, I don't want to say, like, is the shortest 
amount of time someone should prep but is there anywhere where you're kind of like hey this this just doesn't make sense I mean obviously cutting it too close doesn't make sense but do you ever have anyone who signs up and they're like oh you know I'm I'm applying for round one and you're like that just it's just not going to work here um, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> we do. We do. That ship has um, sailed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and, you know, the thing with us and, and me specifically, too, is like, we like to be very honest, because mm-hmm. these are really big life decisions you're making. So if someone comes to us, and they're like, yeah, I have a 400 on the GMAT, and I want a 730. And I'm applying in a month, or um, and I need to be done in a month and a half. Or someone says, I have a 280 on the GRE and I want a 325 in a month and a half. Like, we're going to be pretty honest with them and be like, well, you know, you either need to think about either the next round or perhaps even the next admission cycle, Mm -hmm. because this is not going to be an overnight thing. And the scary thing is when people don't get that advice, what they do is they do stuff that's actually detrimental to their learning and their studying. So not only are they not done in a month and a half, but then they kind of have to circle back and start from scratch so that they can do it the right way. I mean, it's like if you have a leaky boat, right? The quicker fix is probably going to lead to more (laughs) holes and then you're just going to have to go back and fix it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Band-aid solutions. Exactly. So it's kind of like that. Yeah. Um, how many times do you see people take either the GRE or the GMAT? Um, that's a good question. Um, I would say more, well, I wouldn't say more often than not, but for sure we see people taking it multiple times, which is totally fine. Um, you have really great flexibility on what scores you're sending to schools, either with the GMAT or, or the GRE. You know, with the GMAT, it's kind of cool because you can cancel a score and then reinstate it. And mm-hmm. your canceled scores are not sent to schools um, and as long as you reinstate it, you know, within that five years. So, yeah. yeah, if you're unhappy with the GMAT score, you can get rid of it, retake it, and then just send the score that you're happy with if you want to. So I do see because of that flexibility, I think people take it multiple times and there's a level of anxiety and nerves that creep up on any of these tests. So it's not crazy to think that the first time someone takes their real GMAT or real GRE, that things can happen mentally that affect how they do. So I think, you know, a lot of times that's why we see people taking it multiple times. And again, that's totally fine. And it shouldn't be uh, a source of frustration if in your first attempt or even your second attempt, you don't hit your, your score goal. You just have to, you know, stay positive and stay motivated and uh, understand that it's a process and, um, you know, don't compare yourself to others. Of course, like, you know, your journey for this exam is your personal journey. So look, if it takes you three times by the time you graduate business school, I don't think you're going to be thinking about, Oh, well, (laughs) this is great. I graduated from HBS, but I took the GMAT three times. Like, yeah, I doubt that's, happening right right yeah it's just interesting because i know again going back to the sat or the act usually when students were like you know oh this is my third or fourth time it's like 
Okay, but what are we doing different here now for test three or four? How are we studying differently? How are you approaching the exam differently? You know, we don't want to just keep swinging for the fences and we're not, you know, spending any extra time in the batting cages. Um, yeah, so exactly. Sounds like that same advice uh, kind of applies here as well. Yes, 100%. Cool. Um, and I don't know if you can speak to this part of the GMAT or the Jerry, but how important do you think that score is on a student's um, either application file or success in the admissions process? That's always an interesting question. I mean, a lot of times what you'll hear from admissions is, you know, we take a holistic view at you as an applicant. It's not just one sided with scores. So can we say accurately that there are students who get into various business schools um, and graduate schools with scores that are under the average or median? The answer is yes, right? We can 100% say that because we see it in the data. But it takes a pretty special applicant for that to happen. And mm-hmm. you're a thousand percent certain that you're that special applicant. <laughs> I, you know, I would never say like, go for a score that's under the average. The safest move is always to hit the averages as your target score Mm -hmm. or higher. Um, Because that way the GMAT or GRE score will check the box and then they'll look at you as the, the rest of your app. You won't not get in because of your GMAT score or GRE score. So that's always a safe thing. Now, if you're someone who just can't hit those averages for whatever reason, then yeah, you're going to have to, you know, do some research, maybe speak to admissions, maybe speak to a consultant, speak to alumni, like figure out if you as an applicant, despite having that lower score, can work at a particular school. Mm -hmm. And if it turns out that it can, then great. If it turns out that it can't, then yeah, you may have to either rethink where you're applying or spend some more time on your GMAT or GRE to make sure that you're hitting or beating those averages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, you know, the, the term holistic review is, it feels like a buzzword. It's like, you know, checking that wild bingo box because we say it a lot on the undergraduate side. And when I worked in law school admissions, it's kind of the same thing. But, you know, they it's people always come back to, well, what else are they looking at, right? And it's like, well, they're truly looking at everything, like you just said. Um, so I think that's just a really important piece for for people to remember as they are prepping for grad programs or if you're actively applying that, you know, like you said, there's not necessarily going to be one piece of your application file that is the end-all be-all, is the nail in the coffin. Um, you know, usually... It's a number of things when they're trying to decide if you are a good fit for their program. Um, Cause it's so easy to get hung up on the numbers and feeling that like, that's the part of your application process that you can control. Right. If I just study harder, if I, you know, just did another practice test. Um, but I think, you know, getting to a place where you're comfortable and you're happy with your scores and what that means for your application file. Yeah, I I agree. It's always a fine line, right? Like Mm -hmm. sometimes people will stop short because of, oh, well, they're going to take a holistic view, even if they could do better. And so in that case, it's like, well, maybe you should do better just to be more certain, right? Mm -hmm. And then others feel like they've kind of maxed out. 
and so in that case, you know, maybe, maybe you do see if they're going to take that holistic view of your personal application. So yeah, there's a lot that goes into it, but yeah, the general rule of thumb is if you can hit the averages or beat it, that's one less thing to worry about when you're going through the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Turning tables a, a slightly bit. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about preparing for either one of the exams. So you all have, you know, different prep options for applicants that are interested in signing up. Can you talk to me a little bit about your philosophy or your, the target test prep model as far as what is it like for a student to work with you all? Yeah. So as I told you, we spent many years working on our self-study course because we wanted uh, our online self-study course because we really wanted something thorough and complete for students that wasn't super expensive and that they could use on their own. You know, we do offer private tutoring and some students take advantage of that. But for those that don't, we want them to be able to through a course that has everything they need from A to Z and is mapped out and laid out exactly how they want it. And going back to what I mentioned about, you know, kind of topical studying, that's really how we have the TTP program laid out. So students will learn one topic at a time, whether it be math or verbal, and They'll go through an entire chapter that has real live examples in the chapter and great content. And then they'll practice immediately after the chapter, a hundred plus questions broken down into easy, medium, hard on that topic. When they assure that they understand most of it by doing those practice questions and, you know, seeing that they're understanding the things they've read, they'll move on to the next quant or verbal topic. Mm -hmm. And that level of organization I think is key because mentally, if you can kind of check the box and say, okay, I understand linear and quadratic equations. So now I'm ready to move to say subject verb agreement and sentence correction or, you know, number properties and quant. All of this is in a student study plan, which actually is uh, conformed to what their actual score goal is. So wow. yeah, we did this really cool thing where we said, okay, we know our course is really detailed for someone who wants, say, a 730 or higher GMAT score or a 330 or higher GRE score. So as students input uh, scores that are lower, say a 320, 300 for GRE or 680, 700 for GMAT, the course is scaled back and there's less content for them to cover. So it kind of conforms to the score that they want to hit. Mm -hmm. that's, that's cool. nice too yeah exactly because we don't want students to learn more than they necessarily need so it you know it, it allows them to you know more efficiently get to where they're going um all the while still following that study plan that they need to do from from beginning to end mm -hmm. and is there I know you mentioned before kind of like a window as far as how how long someone should be studying Say I were to sign up for some TTP prep today and I was doing the self-studying program. What does that timeline build out look like? Well, I would say similar to what I said, actually. So when I was saying a four to six month horizon, um, 
that's generally uh, a good amount of time for students to work through our course. But then, you know, you got to remember, like, there's students who come to us who have already done prep, who've already taken the GMAT. I mean, let's mm -hmm. say someone's at a 660 for GMAT and they want a 720, or someone's at a 325 for GRE and wants a 332. Right. Well, people have to do every kind of nook and cranny in our course. Well, probably not, right? If someone is reading a lesson about adding fractions and they've clearly learned that or about even and odd numbers and they've clearly learned that, they're probably just going to skim it and move on. And to me, that's the really cool part of the fact that our course is written. Now, we have video solutions in the course to a lot of our chapter problems, but the learning portion is written. And so it does provide students with full flexibility to deeply engage where they need to and skim where they need to. So for someone who already has a decent amount of foundation, they can pick and choose what they do thoroughly and what they don't, you know, allowing them to efficiently move through the course. Yeah. Which is great for people who, like you said, if, you know, you don't have a lot of outside responsibilities, you could move through the course at a different pace as opposed to myself, two kids working full time, right? Like how I move yeah. through the course might look a little bit different from someone else, but you can kind of cater that to what your needs are. Is that what it sounds like? Yeah, exactly. But then, you know, and then there's always that brick wall moment, though, where someone's like, well... I need to go from a 550 to a 740. It doesn't look like I'm going to be able to do that with your course in two months. And it's always a funny conversation because I'm like, this isn't necessarily a target test prep issue. This is kind of a, for lack of a better term, a you issue, right? Mm -hmm. Because anywhere you go to try to get from a, I think I said a 550 to a 740 in two months, is probably not going to work. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of retrain your thinking and say, well, oh yeah, that makes more sense. Like I could use any number of courses and I'm probably not going to be at my goal in two months. So it's kind of like, we're just providing a more honest assessment of what you need sure. um, for you to hit your goal and do it the right way the first time. But yes, for others um, who have, a decent foundation already and different things going on and, and more or less time that they can commit to studying can do things faster than, as you said, someone like yourself, two kids, full-time job. I mean, yeah, you're probably doing a lot of <laughs> studying post bedtime. If, if your life is similar to mine with my two children. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. It would sound like late night studying. And, you know, for me, I, I was, you know, I was not married. I did not have children when I, was going through my own GMAT stuff. So yeah, I had the pick of the litter of whenever I wanted to study uh, and sit down and do any of that. For sure. Um, what are some, I would say like the biggest myths or misconceptions that you hear from prospective applicants who are looking for some test prep? Um, I, I would say the overnight success is a really big one. Um, because I think they'll hear a couple stories from say coworkers or friends or relatives. And they're like, Oh, well, you know, person X was able to do this in two months, which is 
you know, doing a bunch of practice questions. So why can't I? And I think people need to understand that it's a unique journey for everybody. And you just need to look at what's happening with you personally um, and not what everybody else did. Because yes, there are people who can do great things in a short amount of time, but that's not the majority of the population, right? Like most people have to really work at this um, and make sure that they make it a top priority over a good amount of time. And so it might take longer than that cool story you hear about someone in three weeks going from a 600 to a 750. So I think that's one of the biggest things because we like to follow the lead of someone who did something that we think is ideal. Cause of course, like no one wants to spend six months studying for the GMAT. Um, they want to be the guy who studied or girl three weeks, but right. you got to be careful in thinking that way. Cause you're really going to be setting yourself up for uh, disappointment. Um, if you do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that goes back to kind of what we were talking about before, where it's like, this is, you know, your test prep journey. And just because someone else was able to, you know, either self-study or they took a test prep course and it worked really well for them, that might not be the case for your specific situation. And I think that's just so important to remember as, you know, students, applicants are working throughout any application process and preparing for any um, big transition in their life that this is central to your experience and that it's it's going to be different for everyone there's no right or wrong way to go about you know test prep or these program applications you got to figure out what works for you yeah exactly and and it, it goes beyond that too like people you know one of the big things is like hey can i game the gmat for example <laughs> i mean you can if you go to any forum you'll see certain people you know, talking about, well, if I just do really, really well in the first 10 questions, then I'm pretty much set. My score is locked in, right? Yep. And let's say someone did do that and they did really well in the first 10 questions, but let's then say that same student also did really well on every question that followed the first 10 questions because that person is just a really great GMAT test taker. Well, if you're someone who's just okay and you try that, and then you get clobbered on the rest of the exam and have to guess on the last 12 questions, and you end up getting a really bad score, you'll see that that didn't actually work for you. So you you have to take some of these things with a grain of salt and recognize who's telling you what, and also understand that this test can't be plastic as saying, well, just do well in the first 10 questions and you know everything else is gravy. Like it can't, it can't be that simple. And if it ever was, my <laughs> guess is GMAC, for example, would say, you know what? It looks like people have figured this, this out. out. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we need to adjust our algorithm because they're not in a cave. Like if people are talking about this stuff on the forums, like they're eventually going to encounter it and say, okay, yeah. we need to make some fixes. So yeah, I'd say be careful about that too. Um, in addition to the other things I mentioned. For sure. Um, Jeff, as we get ready to wrap up, especially for people who are actively considering applying to MBA programs, what do you want them to take away from this conversation? Well, I, I think 
Uh, understanding that the GMAT or the GRE, both of these are really serious exams. They're not what you encountered in high school or college, or heck, even some of your financial exams like the Series 7 or Series 63 exams that I actually took prior to dealing with the GMAT. And understanding that it's going to take a very serious commitment for most students to excel at these exams and just be prepared to carve out a nice portion of your life to studying for either the GMAT or GRE with the understanding that it's finite and it will end at some point. And in the interim, yeah, you'll have to give up some things that you otherwise would probably rather be doing. And if these scores are game changers for you and your career, then this is these are things that are worth giving up temporarily to lock in the score you need to hopefully ensure the best possible acceptance which of course, hopefully leads to the best possible job. So, sure. you know, these are the things to keep in the back of your mind so you can remain motivated and disciplined to really do the best you can on either the GMAT or the GRE. Yeah. As I was prepping for the podcast, I was just reading, um, digging into some of the test score data and, you know, the historical um, job placement that's correlated with a certain score on an exam and I imagine that falls in line with you know a higher score is going to get you into a top tier school which is going to produce higher earning potential Um, but it's just interesting when you say this is finite and it will be over Um, but just giving it all that you have and can give it at that time is going to pay off dividends in the long run and when you're you know out on the market making all that money you're not going to look back and be like oh you know it was so tough studying for my GRE at the time, right? You're just going to look at where you're at now. Um, so just, I encourage students all the time, like power through right now. It's, it's kind of like, you know, your wheels are in the mud and you just got to keep pedaling. But once you're out on the other side, it's going to be behind you. And, you know, you're not even going to look in the rear view mirror. Um, so I think that's a really great point that you made. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you have to miss a brunch here or there, or, you know, a fun day out or a weekend road trip, you know, it's, it's fine. I mean, at the moment you may be like, geez, I really wish I could do those things. But mm-hmm. eventually in retrospect, you'll be like, oh yeah, getting a, studying for the GMAT <laughs> or GRE, that, that was probably a that smarter decision. It. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Those adult decisions that none of us want to actually make. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Well, Jeff, I truly appreciate your time. Um, I know we have information about Target Test Prep um, on our Service to School uh, website, but also our ambassador channel. So for any of our applicants that are listening and are looking to add some test prep uh, to their either weekends or their next few months, um, absolutely reach out to us here at Service to School. We're more than happy to put you in touch with Jeff and his team so we can get you all set up for success. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, to be paired with an ambassador on the MBA team, we do ask that you have test scores on file with us. Um, but I know Jeff and his team are an incredible resource, and they're here to support you all throughout the process. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, we will definitely get some more um, resources and some more webinars up together um, to continue the conversation about how we can best support um, our student population. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. And for sure, we're looking forward to to more offerings with service to school and and discounts related to our courses. 
And of course, I'm I'm thrilled to do more podcasts and webinars with you and and your team, and just provide as much possible guidance as I can for people. people. That's it for this episode. Join us next week, same time, same place, where we share more Service to School stories. Service to School Stories is hosted by Sydney Mathis, the Director of Student Success, and produced by Amanda DeBias, the Director of Communication at Service to School. Service to School is a 501c3 nonprofit providing free college admission support to transitioning service members and veterans. Join us next time and follow us for more on all of your favorite social media platforms.